This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Mariners Pod. Thanks for being here once again. Mariners... Got done with the Houston Astros for three over the weekend. We'll dive into that an off day today, and then it's on to Baltimore for three. Uh, Texas, Houston coming up on this road trip as well. So we'll dive more into this road trip coming up as we move through the week on the podcast. But we're going to talk about this weekend as the Mariners were looking for a bounce back weekend, and they got it. Taking two out of three from Houston, nearly a sweep, couldn't complete it on Sunday. Mariners win 6-1 on Friday. Brilliant pitching. Chris Flexen, just one run allowed in seven innings of work. And the Mariners played some serious long ball facing Justin Verlander. Welcome back, Kyle Lewis. The stretch and the 1-2. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left center field. Brantley going back, looking up. Goodbye baseball underneath the out-of-town scoreboard. Holy smokes, Kyle Lewis with his first home run of the 2022 season. His third hit of the year. And he hits a two-run home run off of Justin Verlander. And you got to love Ty France as well, having a monster season for the Mariners, and he goes yard. He winds and deals to France. He swings and clocks this high and deep. Is this the third? It's way, way back. It's back by the pen. It's gone. Home run, Ty France. The Mariners' third home run in as many innings off of Justin Verlander. The Mariners get that run right back. It's 5-1 Mariners in the bottom of the third. Mariners hit four home runs off of Justin Verlander, tied for the most he's ever given up at any start. Mariners win 6-1. They follow that up on Saturday. Kyle Lewis did it again. Here comes the pinch. Swing, hammered goodbye, forget about it. This is destroyed. Way back and gone. Up to the upper deck. Kyle Lewis is back. He has homered in back-to-back games. And he just took a foam finger out there in the bleachers. It's 2-0 Mariners at the bottom of the second. And the night belonged to Logan Gilbert. He was just brilliant. Here comes the 2-2. Swing and a miss. He blew it by him at 97. Right on by McCormick as he swings through. Logan Gilbert has retired 11 in a row, and he has kept the Astros scoreless through seven. A brilliant night for Logan Gilbert. Zeros on the board for the Astros as the crowd stands for Logan Gilbert. So seven scoreless. Mariners win 6-0. They shut down the Astros in the first two games, and really... Everything went perfectly. Offense was great. Starting pitching was great. Bullpen did their part. Defense as well. And then on Sunday, a real pitcher's duel. Marco Gonzalez was excellent, but the Astros push a run across late. They win 2-1. to one. Mariners had some opportunities, had some traffic. 
couldn't push the go-ahead run across and the Astros win two to one Mariners take the series Astros savage the finale here was Scott service after the game not quite enough to push across the finish line today but um you know, I'll start off by saying I thought we played an outstanding series. Um, I thought most complete series we've played maybe since very, very early in the season. So uh, a lot of uh, positives there. You know, the last couple nights, uh, obviously, we were on it a little bit more offensively. I thought Garcia threw the ball really well, had a really good slider going today and, and kept us off balance with that. And, uh, you know, but uh, our guy was great. I thought Marco threw the ball just outstanding today. Really good changeup going. And, you know he's pitched against the Astros so much, uh, you know, over the years, and he seemed to has uh, stabled it and figured it out a little bit, whatever you want to call it, against these guys. Again, top of his game today, uh, doesn't get much better than than what he did, and to take us this deep in the ball game, and you know it's one of those games that's going to come down to you know can you create some <clears throat> some chaos, some traffic out there, and then get a big hit, and we certainly created <laughs> a lot of chaos. Uh, we just didn't finish it off by getting the big hit, but. Uh, I uh, can't say enough. I'm really happy with the way we bounced back after a rough start to this homestand, uh, playing the way we did. If we continue to do that, uh, we'll be fine uh, going forward and, and certainly as we head out to this road trip. So I'll take any questions. Scott kind of just touched on it, but do you think this is a series you guys can build on moving forward, especially with the big you know, trip to the East Coast coming up? Yeah, I certainly hope we can build on it. Um, I, I thought we did a, a lot of really good things, but you know, to sweep a, a team like that, a, a really good team, a uh, veteran club that is very deep, you got to make all the little plays happen throughout a course of three games. And, and we did the first two nights. Uh, tonight, we today, we just, you know, a couple things go here or there, uh, a little bit differently there in the <clears throat> seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, and, and you end up sweeping that club. So I feel good about, you know, um, us continuing to get better. And it wasn't headed in that direction here for a while. So uh, a lot of good signs here this weekend. Beyond Marco, just how big was the starting pitching overall all weekend? Yeah, our starting pitching was fantastic. Uh, you know, I will, uh, it, it just makes everything else kind of roll along. You know, uh, you're not overexposing too many different guys and overworking your bullpen. Um, you know, the first two days we, we created some run support for those guys. Tonight, or today, a little bit more difficult, but a heck of a job. All three of those guys were great, and we've got the capability of doing that. All five in our rotation can get deep. Uh, use all their pitches, throw in a ton of strikes. Um, you know, heck of a job this weekend. Scott, you talked a little bit about it before the game, but how tempting was it to go to Kyle Lewis, even though it was his day off today, it, an important day off for Yeah, him. Kyle was just, even though wasn't available today. So, um, you know, you have to take those things into consideration. And, you know, when we knew uh, that we, when we did add him to the roster, there was going to be days he was going to be down. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> you'd like to plug him in there, you know, at a key moment. But uh, you know, I got to stay true to to what we decided we would do when he when he came back. So that's what we did. This game, I don't know if you anticipated it would be kind of a one nothing or the kind of game it was, but we did see more of the bunts and a little bit more of the situational stuff. Is that something you're a little bit more capable of doing right now? Well, I think you know, depending on you have a feel for the game, and certainly we had nothing going early. I think you had a no hitter going through four or five innings, and then. Uh, you know, you get a little something going there, and, and we do uh, execute a bunt and then get a big hit after it. Uh, it was great to see. Uh, a little bit later in the seventh, obviously, trying to move guys up. It just had the feeling it was going to be one, one run one way or another. So just trying to create opportunities where maybe it doesn't take a hit, but somebody just getting a ball in play. And we weren't able to do it. You know, Montero got two big strikeouts. Um, you know, um, we had second, third, one out in the seventh. And, you know, they got the big double play ball to end the game. So, uh, 
they made the pitches. We weren't quite able to push it over, but you know, sometimes you got to play those games uh, depending on where we're at in the lineup. Uh, today we were, you know, we had some runners on, and we were a little bit more towards the bottom of the lineup. So just trying to move it along, and guys executed. We just didn't finish it off. Seems like Marco really kept him off balance with that fastball changeup combination. What did you see from that, especially as the game went on? Yeah, the, the changeup was outstanding again today. Um, you know, the Pena jumped him on a first pitch fastball. You know, that happens giving up the, the solo home run. But after that, he was on top of it. Um, you know, Maldonado seems like every time we have a series here, at some point his bat plays into it. And he had a long at bat. You know, he weren't quite able to finish a play down in right field there against the stands. And then, you know, he. Gets the big double. Um, you know, you got to give him credit. He hung in there, and Marco didn't back off. You know, he just won the battle on that one. Scott, when Luis gets the uh, leadoff single on the six for you guys, the first hit, does that take pressure off the other guys just to not do too much? Well, I think uh, everybody knows the guy's got a no-hitter going. Right. I mean, guys, actually, I thought our energy in the dugout today was really good once we got into the ball game. Guys understanding this was going to be a tight game. We need to come up with a big hit. Um, you know, when you get that first one, it does break the ice, and, and we were able to capitalize on it. You know, bringing them, bringing him across the play, tie another clutch. You know, two out RBI. He's been fantastic. Um, you know, all year long. So, again, you're just trying to tie it up, get us in a good spot. We were right there at the end. Um, just couldn't finish it off. Seawald's been so sharp for you, and that certainly was no soft landing spot. But what did you see from him in that sequence there? Well, you know, as the you know he got the first guy out, Altuve, obviously, and then he fell behind, and uh, you know. The Bregman Seawald matchup uh, has been tough one for Paul uh, for whatever reason. You know Bregman's always seen the ball pretty good off off Paul, and, and he was able to work the walk. And then, you know, they got their big guy at the plate, and he came through. You know that was the story. I think Paul went after him, um, but you know base or load at that point you have to. Uh, but probably you know not getting ahead in the count uh, maybe against Brantley or, or Bregman. You know, led to other things down the road. Well, the Mariners had an off day on Thursday. They had an off day today in Baltimore. They'll take on Baltimore starting for three. That will take the Mariners into June. Rangers after that. Then the Astros all on this road trip again. The Astros again. Astros and Mariners have seen each other a ton. Mariners have not played the Angels yet in the division. That will happen on the next homestand. A long homestand coming up with the Red Sox Twins. And then a five-game series against the Angels on the next homestand. So a lot to talk about as we move through the week on the podcast. But this is going to be a fun one as we're going to hand things over to Shannon Dreher and she'll chat with Penn Murphy. Also, we're going to talk with Astros broadcaster, one of our absolute favorites, Steve Sparks. Steve Sparks as we kind of talk over the Mariners a little bit and his Thoughts on Julio Rodriguez. He has seen him a handful of times now. Of course, Julio has had a marvelous May. So we'll get the thoughts of Steve Sparks. First, here's Shannon with Penn Murphy. I think that I've just relied heavily on asking my teammates, you know, about their their processes and, you know, their routines and their mindsets about how to tackle it. Um, I feel like I've been accustomed to kind of going back and forth in different roles. Uh, at Santa Clara, when I pitched, it was the first like real year I pitched. I started, I relieved, I closed, I was long relief. I kind of just did it all. So I got into a good headspace of like, no matter, you know, when I'm coming into a game, keeping it about just doing my job. And, you know, that job obviously changes. You know, if I'm a starter, I've got a little bit different of a game plan and mindset coming into it versus if I'm coming in with guys on base or if I'm coming in in the last inning. I think that I just try and keep it in you know a bite-sized chunk of hey like what's my job here and how do I most efficiently do that job you were at Santa Clara as a fifth year senior correct and 
you didn't pitch before that? I know you were an infielder, but did you pitch as well? I did. I did my senior year at Vanderbilt, but I had 11 innings, and I had no idea what the heck I was doing. It was just trying to stay above water and not look like an idiot. Um, so I called my year at Santa Clara like my first year pitching. When I was at Vanderbilt, yeah, I was a pitcher, and I did contribute those 11 innings, but... Again, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't I didn't really have a good mindset. I was kind of just like, okay, well, I'm trying to finish out my senior year. I didn't want to quit. You know, I was coming off of groin surgery. I didn't have that attack mindset. I was more so just kind of like, I don't want to quit baseball my senior year and walk out on the game. Um, but at Santa Clara, I developed a, you know, much more competitive mindset in regards to pitching and, you know, started thinking more about, like, how I could really contribute to the team and, I don't know, it's just a, a little bit of a mental shift more than anything. There's so many things to get into there. I mean, you didn't want to quit pitching, but if you were kind of at a point where you were converting, I was thinking, I'm thinking, you're, you weren't thinking about the next level at that point, were you? At Not at all. Not at all. No, I was, pro baseball was the furthest thing, <laughs> furthest thing away. It was not remotely in my plans. I remember going to the, you know, the scout meetings or whatever when we have guys roll through Vanderbilt and I'd be like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but I'm glad how it, I'm happy how it turned out. You know, I don't know what really caused me to uh, give it a chance, but I'm thankful that I that I got one, and here we are. What a good turn! What a fun turn! But I mean, what happened at Santa Clara? Who grabbed a hold of you and said you can do this? Um, my pitching coach, Rusty Filter, is my head coach as well. Um, but we were kind of looking at me as a two-way option, you know, in the fall and. I'd taken a year off of hitting at Vanderbilt, and it's not like riding a bike. I give all the credit in the world to the hitters. They're cut from a different cloth. I just It's the hardest thing to do in sports, if you ask me. So with that year off, I was trying to come back, and it's not like riding a bike. I just wasn't as good of a hitter as I was used to being. I was uncomfortable in the box, and I was getting much more comfortable on the mound. So Rusty and I sat down. He said, hey, look, Penn, you know, I want you to get a chance to get drafted and play pro ball, and I think that your best chance is you know, going at it off the mound. So let's... Let's cancel the plans to play a little infield, maybe, and just focus on the pitching. It was the best thing that he could have ever ever done for me. Your progression. So, I, I mean, I, I assume you threw hard enough as an infielder. Mm-hmm. How did you, where did your slider come from? What pitches did you have as a starter? How did you turn into, in less than a year, a guy that could get recognized? Um, everything has been trial and error. When I was at Santa Clara, I was a very, very different pitcher than I am now. Even in my first season of pro ball, I was a very different pitcher. I relied heavily on a sinker. My slider wasn't that great. Um, But I did always kind of have a good feel for how to spin a baseball. Like Even when I was in high school, I pitched one year. And that one year at Vanderbilt, for some reason, I've just always had like a good mental image of how to throw a breaking ball. Um, But what really changed, I think, was in the offseason after 2019. 2018, I'm sorry. Um, I played catch with a net all offseason. I didn't play catch with a throwing partner. So it was just a lot of quiet time by myself in a facility, just tinkering, like completely having fun, being a scientist in a way. And I think that just a lot of repetitions and a lot of willingness to fail and like try things that might not have worked helped contribute to that. And I remember coming into spring training in 2019, and Cal Raleigh was like, what did you do differently, you know? Yeah. And that kind of gave me a little spark of confidence, like, okay, I've, I've done something good here. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, best I can describe it is I'm just, I think God gave me a good ability to spin a baseball. And I mean, were you a guy that was always just kind of had the ball in your hand even when you weren't pitching and just kind of just, yeah. no? No, just, it just no I, I don't even know who taught me where to hold 
hold where I hold my slider, but I've always gripped it in the same spot. Even when I was trying to throw over the top like a conventional pitcher, I don't know. The physics made sense. Trying to throw a, a four seam, like think about the opposite of a riding four seam fastball. I'm trying to get all those four seams pulling the spin or pulling the direction of the ball in the direction of those four seams. Mm-hmm. Probably doing a bad job of explaining that, but it just made sense in my head. And I feel like you know the way that my brain is geared, I have to be able to paint a mental picture of okay. how the ball comes out of my hand. And yeah, I'm thinking of that movie, the chess movie that came out during the pandemic. It was on Netflix. Was it the Queen's Gambit? The Queen's yeah, yeah, yeah. Gambit. Did you like lie in bed and just see spinning baseballs? Kind of, kind like of, that? in a way. Yeah, you know, we have we have tools now where you can plug in spin and stuff into a generator and you can see it. But that's that's how my brain works, and I do I do think about it like that. Okay, well, if I can make my fingers grip the ball here and it comes off this way, I'll get the most efficient spin that I want. So. That is absolutely fantastic. So you are peeking at the numbers and Sometimes, yes. Okay. Sometimes, feel yes. And and, and feel, image is feel and image is everything okay. for me. So what did the Mariners do for you when you got to the Mariners organization? Gave me chances that I did not deserve. They had every reason to not trust me and to get rid of me. And for whatever reason, I stuck around and they gave me chances, you know, playing in the fall league, being a starter in Modesto, um, sticking up for me to get me on to Team USA. You know, I got invited to big league camp uh, in 2020. They've just really been generous when it comes to that i feel very thankful and um but i also got linked up with some really quality men who have who have been big influences on me you know in the organization and then really put a hand on my back and said hey like you can do this um but the mariners have been exceptional i'm so happy that i was drafted by them i could ask you a million questions about what you're doing right now we don't have that time so i'm going to just kind of condense it down to one what is the biggest thing you've taken away from coming out of the pen at the big league level just doing my job trying to keep it as simple as possible i think that again talking to my older teammates the guys who have been around a little bit and watching how they go about their business it reminds me it is still the same game there's brighter lights bigger stadiums and all that but if you can just keep it simple and just go out there and do your job, back up your teammates, you know, and do it for them, then everything else that happens is a side effect. But it keeps it simple, and that's the biggest thing I've taken away, and it's mad fun. <laughs> it's it's a lot of adrenaline. It's a lot of big energy, so it's all good things. And here's our conversation with Steve Sparks. Well, Steve, it feels like every year we kind of wait for the Astros to take that step back after they lose Carlos Correa. We've seen them lose Garrett Cole in years past, George mm-hmm. Springer. It's not coming anytime soon, or at least that's what it feels like. How have they been able to sustain this level of play for as long as they have? Yeah, you know, I think it starts with the pitching. You know, they, they've pitched really well this year. I don't think to, even to the extent of what we expected, they, they pitched better. Uh, Verlander certainly, after missing two years, has pitched better than what we expected. Um, but there's a lot of other guys that have stepped up, and, and I think they're, they've got a good kind of a machine down in the minor league. They develop their pitchers very well. I watch them in spring training, and I see these iPads, and I see guys throw two or three pitches, and they say, no, you want to do this, and they change their finger position. And, you know, it's just a process that's much different from what we we went through as minor leaguers uh, coming up through the systems. But whatever they're doing, it works, and they rely a lot on swing and miss. They don't like to put you know the ball in play if they're a pitcher. Uh, why leave it to chance? So swing and miss is their big forte, and they've got a lot of pitchers who can do it. Steve Sparks is our guest. He's the analyst on radio for the Astros. Had a very long, distinguished big league career up on the mound. First question. Was that distinguished? (laughs) Because I remember backing up third one. (laughs) First question for you, Sparky. 
Did you think Tramel's ball was a home run last night? Yeah, I did. You didn't? Well, we were, I mean, we were truly on the edge of our seat trying to figure out if it was a home run or not. Well, um, I, I felt like felt like every ball hit that, that went out of the yard yesterday seemed pretty legit. Like, for the first six weeks of the season, I didn't think so. Mm. I thought the balls weren't traveling very well at all. But even having a couple of conversations with guys downstairs, it feels like the ball is getting a little bit more like we saw in the last couple of seasons. So I don't know where this is, you know, with the the manufacturing of these baseballs and where their spectrum lies and, and, and how they can kind of manufacture the ball the way they want it. It just doesn't make sense to me right now. It seems like the humidor is a big factor in this. Have you picked so. up on that as well? The yeah. fact that, for those who aren't aware, last year the humidor was in just under 10 ballparks. T-Mobile Park had the humidor last year. It was one of the, the select few. But mm-hmm. this year, all 30 Major League ballparks have a humidor. And I think that, from what we have gathered, Gary and I, when we've talked around to people, that seems like one of the one of the major culprits, what that has done to the baseball league-wide. Right. And I think when it starts to heat up a little bit, mm-hmm. then it starts to kind of even out a little bit, where it starts to turn more neutral from what we've understood, maybe somewhere in between what we saw at the beginning of this season, what we saw the last couple of seasons. So if it falls somewhere right in the middle, I think we're in business. But I think what the pitchers and Maybe the hitters, I don't know, but what the pitchers want more than anything is more consistency on the height of the baseball. It's just sometimes it's slick, sometimes it's a little mushy, sometimes it's got a little rough exterior where they can grip it and, and spin it a little bit better, but right now there, there's just not anything uniform. Speaking of spinning it, I just continue to marvel at the stuff we continue to see yeah. from pitchers baseball-wide. It just... Uh, not only the high-octane stuff, but just the breaking, the sliders, everything. And you've been a student of pitching for a mm-hmm. long time. What are we seeing? What is this era like in pitching? I think what we're seeing right now is that the technology helps the pitchers out a lot more than it does the hitters. And I think that's why they're so much more ahead, and that's why we see so many strikeouts. That's why we see such high velocity and such swing and miss on curves and sliders because they've been able to figure out how to optimize you know, like we said, their wrist position, their finger position, and, and where to get that axis in the perfect spot to maximize their abilities. They, they can, you know, tailor these to themselves. And, and I think technology for pitchers is just way outperformed what it's been able to do for the hitters. And I'm really not sure if they're going to be able to play catch up because mm-hmm. hitting such a reactionary uh, thing to do in, in baseball, and I just don't think technology is going to help a whole lot. You and I have something in common, Sparky. Um, we actually, all of us have something in common with hmm. you. We all love Ty France. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a huge Ty France fan. As a, as a former major league pitcher, I think it's, it means a lot coming from you, certainly more than coming from us, that, yeah. you, that he stands out so much to you. Tell us why exactly. Okay, so I want to say three, three years ago, maybe four years ago, I was follow, following Jordan Alvarez very closely, and I was watching his statistics and what he was doing in AAA with the Astros because I fell in love with him in spring training and and I couldn't wait for his arrival. And as I was watching Alvarez and watching his numbers compared to this other guy in the league, it was Ty France. And those two were jockeying one and two in the Pacific Coast League. I think uh, Ty was with El Paso at the time and Jordan was in AAA with the Astros in Round Rock. And both of those guys, their on-base percentages were through the roof. They weren't striking out. Uh, power numbers were, were through, the, through the roof. I just figured, you know what, these guys, what they're doing because of the walk rate and the low strikeouts are going to translate to the big league level. 
So not only was I anticipating and looking forward to Jordan Alvarez's arrival, I was also had an eye on Ty France. I couldn't wait to watch him play, and I had never seen him yet. So once I got a chance to see him, especially the last couple of seasons, he's become one of my favorite players. I just love his approach at the plate. Uh, I love the idea that uh, his idea, first of all, is, is to take uh, assessment of what the situation is in a game and, and do what he needs to do to, to be a winning player, whether it's move a runner over or, or take what the pitcher gives you or turn on a pitch uh, when he needs to. But I like the fact that he can hit for power from foul pole to foul pole, uh, hits the ball to the gaps, and I love his balance. I, I just like his whole whole demeanor out there. And Gary and I were talking earlier, too, is, you know, it, it's kind of a pleasant surprise to see what he's done defensively, ranks fourth best defensively defensively in the major leagues among first basemen. Some of the – one of the really fun aspects of this series right now is two really good young players playing really well. Yes. Jeremy Pena has been outstanding for the Astros. Julio has really taken off this month. When you watch Julio play, and you've seen him now in a handful of games, but what do you see when you watch Julio? I, I see a very high ceiling and a really high floor for Julio. I just feel like he's going to continue to get better and better. And I feel like, you know, you don't want to compare him to, to players at this point, but you see him as one of the, you know, six or seven young players in baseball right now uh, that have come up in the last two years that are going to make the, the biggest impression on the league. Uh, for years to come, and you, you look at power and speed, and there's not a lot of those guys left in baseball anymore, but he's going to be one of those. Uh, I think Kyle Lewis, once he gets his knees and feet or his legs <clears throat> from underneath himself, uh, again, coming back, I think Kyle Lewis is a power-speed combination, and those guys are rare. So I think Julio Rodriguez is going to be a force in, in Seattle for a long, long time. I don't know how many people uh, understand uh, his talent level already, but we've seen it, you know, and we've seen the way he can turn on balls, and we've seen already that he's starting to lay off the slider. And we've seen the same thing with Pena. Is he was getting force-fed so many sliders early on and, and couldn't lay off of it, but they both made adjustments, and that's what you're hoping to see from young players. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.